0: Good morning, it's February 2nd, and this is To My little Friends. But yesterday I talked about polling and how they can be skewed to say what you want them to say, and how national polls of voters are not as significant as polls done in individual states, particularly swing states, in a presidential election. Now, I cited a Bloomberg poll in the key swing states, which showed Trump leading Biden in all of them, as compared to Quinnipiac University poll showing Biden leading by six points in a nationwide poll of voters. The point I was making is that winning a national poll might make the campaign feel good, but losing in those key swing states could actually doom a campaign, so they're more important than a national one. Now, I grew up in a heavily Democratic area outside the city of Pittsburgh. There were two steel mills within a few blocks from where my home was. It was a union-based neighborhood. Those men and women were solid Democratic voters could be counted on each and every election. But as I said yesterday, Voters are moving and that could be key to who wins the election. Take a look at a recent New York Times Siena College polling in the six closest swing states that Biden won in 2020. Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. Biden and Trump were tied at 47% among union bo- voters when asked who they'd vote for in 2024. When those swing state voters were asked how they voted in 2020, Biden won the group by an eight point margin. The union vote's especially important in Michigan, Nevada, and Pennsylvania. Somewhere between 14 and 15% of employees in these three states are represented by unions. Between 12 and 13% of employees in those states are themselves union members. The latest polling may be a surprise given that union workers are generally thought of as a strong democratic group. They shouldn't be. Biden won union workers who reside primarily in blue states by 22 points. That's according to a 2020 cooperative election study by Harvard University. Compare that with Bill Clinton's performance in 1992 when he won the national popular vote by a similar margin to Biden 20 years later. But Clinton won union members by 31%. In 2016, Trump was able to make great inroads with blue-collar workers. Even in 2020, he seemed to hold that grip on non-college graduate union members. But you should remember that blue-collar union workers, they're a declining number. The fact is union workers are far likelier to be in education training and library occupations that's 32.7 percent additionally public sector employees are much likelier to be part of a union than private sector employees where only six percent of them are those type of workers are more likely to follow their union leadership and support democrats particularly government workers the whole point of this is that the electoral paradigm has changed over the years the republican party used to be the country club set the business people, rural and suburban voters, the Democrats for the party of the working man, minorities and urban white dwellers. But it's changed over the years, and neither party can take their traditional voting blocks for granted. But that seems to be ever-changing. Blue-collar workers have been gravitating toward Republicans, while suburban voters, particularly women, have been trending toward Democrats. For workers, it seems to be the Democrats pushed on issues like DEI, and for suburban women, it's been abortion. There's another phenomenon that's emerging in this election. Young voters seem to be turning off politics. Four years ago, Gen Z turned out in record numbers and supported Joe Biden. As we approach this election, polling shows that fewer than 50% of these plan on voting and only 38% approve of Joe Biden. That's not to say that as a block they're going to switch to Trump, but if they stay home in Key State, it hurts Biden. Added to this equation that Zoomers, that's Gen Z, are taking the side of Palestine in the aftermath of the unprompted and violent attacks that Hamas committed last October. That's not good news for Joe Biden. This means that once again, anything can happen in November. Pollsters will try and predict the results, but many of them will be wrong again. Finally, another issue I wanted to mention, there was a vote on House Joint Resolution in the House Judiciary Committee yesterday. It was introduced by Congressman Ralph Norman, a Republican from South Carolina, and it failed by a vote of seventeen A's and nineteen nays. And that resolution called for term limits. Every Democrat on the committee voted against it, and sadly, four Republicans voted no. They were Darryl Issa, Republican of California, Tom McClintock, Republican of California, Scott Fitzgerald, Republican of Wisconsin, and Harriet Hageman, the Republican from Wyoming. That resolution would have limited House members to three terms, or six years, and Senators to two terms, or 12 years. I've gone back and forth on term limits. There are pros and cons to each side. It would take a constitutional amendment to accomplish this, and I don't see it happening in my lifetime. I would prefer age limits. We already have age minimums in the Constitution, and we should put age maximums. I would suggest an age of 75. Once you hit 75, you cannot run for Congress or the Presidency. And I doubt it would ever pass since there are sufficient members over that age to prevent it from getting the two-thirds majority needed in both the House and Senate. But it would be interesting to see how they would vote. And I think the public, overall, if you want to pull that, would support some age limits. This has been to my liberal friends. Thanks for listening.